The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal she cries aloud. To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, When there were no depths, I was brought forth, where there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his commands. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Well, this summer, as you know, if you've been with us, we have been going through the Old Testament stories and big themes of the Bible. And it wouldn't be complete unless we got to the wisdom literature, the poetic literature in the book of Proverbs. And there's a key theme in the book of Proverbs, and you probably are aware of it, maybe even if you haven't spent much time in the book of Proverbs. The key theme is wisdom. And its content is so practical, so insightful, and so deeply refreshing as you read through it, and you find how reasonable it is to just your daily life, and how you would live, and, and, and how to make decisions on complicated and important decisions in your life. And it is about God does this so that his people would know how to navigate the challenges of important decisions. It helps us to think about how to, how to be shaped more and more into the 
image and character and likeness of God. It helps us to be able to properly function in society and with humanity. How do I, how do I act with my neighbor and my, and my co-workers? And how do I live in, in, with other people? And it also gives us this beautiful foretaste of this future kingdom uh, where we, that God is going to bring, this future kingdom where uh, everyone and everything works as they are supposed to. Isn't that a great, a great picture of what we long for? God, when are things just going to work? Things seem to be broken. When are, you gonna have, when are things going to work as they are supposed to work? Well, the book of Proverbs gives us this foretaste and picture of this is what it will look like when God brings that forever kingdom and future peace. And it's here that this book and our passage confronts a, a couple commonly held uh, beliefs about life. It confronts the idea that what is true about this world and all that is in it is something uh, that is really difficult to find something that's uh, evolving, something that's progressing through life. And so what is right and righteousness or, or what wisdom is or what truth really is, it's something that, we, that we're longing to find and looking forward to, but it's continually progressing and evolving uh, and reforming in life. And we don't really know what to do, but we just have to figure it out as we go along. Um, there's this pivotal scene in this movie, The Sandlot. I know it's one of your favorite uh, movies because uh, uh, many of you uh, are in that generation where The Sandlot was like your childhood movie. And, and even if you weren't in that generation, you still love it. And uh, there's this guy, Benny, right? Benny Rodriguez, who's a key figure, one of the, one of the kids, the baseball players, uh, the best player in the, in the Sandlot. He's having a crisis in his life, right? So a Babe Ruth autographed ball has gone over the center field wall into a neighbor's yard. And in that yard it is guarded by this giant gorilla dog thing, right? That's what Benny says. And he, who, you know, this dog allegedly already had eaten one kid, right? So this is his pickle. This is the dilemma. I'm getting there, people, so just be patient with me. This is the dilemma that he is facing. So if he doesn't go over the wall, he, uh, he loses um, basically the, the most prized relic of baseball memorabilia. It's an autographed ball by, by Babe Ruth. And in doing so, he probably damages and ruins the life of his friend, Smalls, who, uh, who, who stole it from his dad's baseball cabinet and used it to play baseball without them knowing. So that's his, that's his problem number one. If he does go over, he's going to get eaten by this dog. What do you do? Right? And this is the crisis that he's having. And so one night, as he's thinking about what to do, Babe Ruth, the ghost of Babe Ruth shows up into his bedroom. And he talks to him. And he's in the biggest pickle of his life. And Babe Ruth says to him some wise words, right? Well, we, what we would understand is wise words. And he says, follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. Right? It's the worst news ever, just so you know. Babe Ruth comes in and says, follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. Babe Ruth is feeding into one of the most commonly cultural narratives that we hear all the time. That what is right, what is wise, what is true, what is noble, the thing that we should do, we're really just in a process in our life of finding out what that is, and everyone is on their own path. And the most authentic thing you could do is be completely true to yourself. There's this identity, uh, um, authenticity, that the right thing is to be yourself. And the worst thing that you could possibly do, this is what our culture says, the worst thing you could do is compromise who you are at your heart. And don't let anyone ever tell you to, 
that you need to be something or someone that you are not. And so he's feeding into this cultural narrative that we are a part of, that we've grown up in, and we've maybe even followed this narrative in our life that, that we should follow our heart, that we should do what we desire to do, and if we do that, then that's the right thing to do. And one voice says, you have to be true to yourself, and the worst thing that you could do is to not be true to yourself, and don't ever let anyone tell you anything uh, other than what you are telling yourself. And another voice is saying another thing. They're saying, only you have the right to define what is right for you. Think about this in a spiritual sense. Maybe you've felt this way, and I've felt this way before, and at times I've thought, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that believing in Jesus is the right thing for me, but I don't have the right to tell you that he's the right thing for you. And we may, we may say that and think, well, that's, that's a good position to be with, with people, because something that's right for me doesn't mean that it's right for you. And we, build in, we, we feed into that narrative. That what is right for you is whatever you decide is right. A third voice might say something, there really isn't any way to absolutely know what to do in life. Because I can't go to Benny Rodriguez and say, hey, here's the scripture and verse, chapter and verse of what you should do in this situation. And that's where Benny needs wisdom. And Babe Ruth comes in and offers him a voice of wisdom, of the cultural narrative. Just follow your heart, kid, and you'll never be wrong. And there's a good chance as citizens, as Christians, as, as uh, members of society, as participants in this world, that we have become caught up in answering that question. How do we know what is right? How do we know what to do in a dilemma, in a crisis, where the Bible doesn't talk specifically to it? Which is most of our life. Of those very vital points in our life, we say, I don't know what to do, and the Bible doesn't speak explicitly on this. And we're caught up in a cultural narrative that says, well, just follow your heart. Don't anyone ever, let, anyone ever tell you not to be yourself. Well, the book of Proverbs offers us something so refreshing. It makes a bold claim. The bold claim is that it is a manual for our universal rightness. It is a manual for humankind and all of creation about what, what rightness looks like, what wisdom looks like, what it looks like to live in this world as citizens and participants in our world, as people who are demonstrating wisdom. And how can we confront Questions and dilemmas like this that we have in our life with, with a clear conscience, knowing that we are glorifying God and doing what is right. And so the book of Proverbs aims to do something that is so good for us. It, helps to, it aims to answer life's most meaningful problems. And it uses poetry to do that. It's a, it's a poetic book along with a few others in, in the Bible. It, it, and, in, and in doing that, and with using poetry, it uses a lot of whiz, uh, repetition. So it says one thing in one way, and then it repeats the very same thing in a different way. It's trying to reiterate itself and repeat itself so that we will catch on to the, the meaning and the wisdom that is, that is found in these great Proverbs. And there's this progression through this chapter, as we read in chapter 8, that directs us to three things. One is how to think according to wisdom. It helps us how do we think in our mind according to right wisdom, godly wisdom, biblical wisdom. Another is how do we, how do we listen according to wisdom? And lastly, how do we live according to wisdom? And so the book of Proverbs, if you've yet to pick it up and really spend time into it, and yet you feel, find yourself constantly in conflict, constantly in dilemmas in your life, constantly frustrated because you don't know what it is that God desires you to do, and there aren't chapter and verses that you could go to, I would encourage you at the onset, just immerse yourself in the Proverbs. Immerse yourself in, in understanding uh, this great wisdom literature. It will shape our hearts as we make ourselves available to 
listened here to live according to God's word in the, in, in the Proverbs. And the first, so the first one, let's walk through it now. How do we think according to wisdom? I mentioned a minute ago that there's this, this cultural assumptions that truth is found in ourselves, that it's subjective, that no one can really know and no one can really tell you how to live or what is right. Each must follow their own heart and figure it out on their own. And the first few verses addresses this common assumption and kind of rebukes it somewhat sarcastically. And it says to all those who say, there's no way to know, there's no way to find out wisdom. Wisdom says in response, it says, but, but there is a way to know. Isn't there? But doesn't wisdom call? That's what it says. It starts out, doesn't wisdom call? Doesn't understanding cry out? Is it, doesn't she raise her voice? Isn't she screaming at the mountaintops? Isn't, isn't she meeting us at every crossroad of life? So wisdom is saying somewhat sarcastically, when you were at that crossroad and you found yourself saying, there's really no way to know what is right. Wisdom is there saying, but I was right there at the intersection. You missed me. Well, I was, I was out in the wilderness, and, and, and I didn't know what to do. And she says, I was on the mountaintop screaming to you. While well, I was in my neighborhood and in my house, and, in our, and we were having a crisis in our family, and wisdom says, I was at your doorstep, knocking and yelling and, and boldly proclaiming what it looks like to have understanding. She's been there the whole time. She's personified here as, this, as a woman that's screaming, that's loud, that's yelling, that is making wisdom known, godly wisdom, what it means to, to be godly and righteous. And so she's somewhat responding to us by saying, don't say that there really isn't a way to figure out the truth. I've been yelling about it all along. There is a way to know the truth, and surprisingly, it's relatively easy to find. Wisdom proclaims loudly how to live. Wisdom is not elusive, but desires to be found. I've often considered this, and maybe you have too. It's like, God, why don't, why do you make yourself, you know, why do you play hide and seek so much? I really could use you just to be really bold and up in front in my face right now. I'd love for you to just give me a clear answer. Why do you like to hide? Is there something unique about God that loves to just play hide and seek? Come and find me. I'm there somewhere. You just got to work for it. I feel that way at times. But we look at this wisdom, and wisdom saying, I'm actually quite easy to be found. I'm yelling aloud. Maybe you're not listening. And so how should this help us to think differently, to think differently about wisdom? It helps us to realize that in any situation, in any meaningful dilemma, there is a right way. So maybe the first step is we think about encountering a dilemma in our life or a, a difficult decision that's really important. We should first think and say, there is a way in which to live that is pleasing to the Lord. I just need to find it, right? Instead of thinking, first off, how could one really know? Maybe there isn't a right way. Maybe it is about my certain set of experiences that should shape what is right. Or maybe what is right for me might not be right for others. But instead of thinking, there is a wisdom, there is a way of godliness that God desires for me to walk in. And I just need to find out what that way is. And that's a, that's a paradigm shift. That's thinking differently about wisdom and how to live. How do I deal with the person uh, and speak to a person in a specific way that, is, that has hurt me? How, should I take this job or not? What exactly should I say to a friend who is grieving? How do I lead my children when he or she is, is doing this or, or that? What's the best way to encourage a friend who's who's hurting? What's the best way to rebuke a friend 
when they are sinning? How do I be all that God desires for me to be? Fill in the blank. Anything you can think of, any question you have where you can't go to a chapter and verse to answer the question. Do you know that there is an answer? That there is wisdom, godly wisdom for every situation that you find yourself in. So even if you don't find a scripture chapter and verse to address your daily decisions, that doesn't mean that it's not to be found. So the reason that you might feel trapped and that we might feel trapped at times sometimes is that because uh, we're not thinking right about wisdom. Um, Verse 5 says, think about this, are you tired of making decisions that prove to just lead into trouble? It says you need need prudence. Look in in verse 5, it says, simple ones, learn prudence. Are Are you finding yourself continually in a place in your life where you just... You keep making the wrong decisions, and you keep being stuck, and you keep being frustrated. And then it says, well, oh, oh fools, learn sense. Do you keep making decisions in your life, and those prove to be just destructive to your family, to your work, to your own personal joy and happiness? Do you find yourself saying, why keep making the wrong choice? Wisdom says, you can learn how to have sense, to have common sense. And the next few points I want to get into that we'll spend a little bit more time fleshing this out, but the first one is just to think, to think differently about wisdom, that God does have an answer for us. And the second one is to how to listen according to wisdom. We need to listen. There's a strong verb in verse 6, and it's that command, hear, for I will speak. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And this verb is meant to, it's meant to grab our attention as we're reading through this, because wisdom saying, don't I cry out, don't I speak out? And then it says, hear. It is meaning to have us sit down and say, now sit down, I want to talk to you about something really important. It's, it grabs us kind of by the shoulders and says, I want your undivided attention. I want to speak to you for a moment. A comment that I hear uh, at times, it, which is so encouraging, I, I love it and I also hate it, and I'll tell you why for each side, is the comment after a sermon, someone comes up to me and says, that sermon was so for me. And I love to hear that. And I also hate to hear it. Here's why I love to hear it. Because when I hear that, what it tells me is that God is speaking to you. God is communicating to you and he's changing you. And he's, he's convicting and convincing your heart. And he's comforting you. And it's so good. So when I hear those words come from your mouth, I think, God, you're gracious. You're working. You love your children. And you're doing that through the preaching of the word and your presence among your people. Thank you for being faithful to teach us. And here's why it troubles me. Because it means that you're not listening every other week. Because God has something to say to us every time that his words are uttered, every time the scriptures are preached, every time his scriptures are sung. He is saying, I'm speaking loudly for your benefit so that you can have sense, so that you can have wisdom, so you can walk in a way that is godly and good for you. God's wisdom is always important. It always moves us as we are willing to listen to them. And so wisdom says, hear me, listen to me. And there are even clues in this passage of why we should listen. And these are important to note. Why we should listen, because it's, first is that it's the key to enjoying God. Wisdom, wisdom says towards the end of this chapter that God created the world with intention and with order and with purpose. It wasn't chaotic. He created everything with overwhelming joy. And wisdom was there with God in creation so that creation could be joyful and well-ordered and a place of peace and comfort 
and pleasure for all to enjoy. And the whole of creation was an overflow of God's delight. The way he designed the beaches were supposed to make you feel the way you feel when you go to the beach. When you go to the beach and you say, wow, God says, that's why I did it. When you see a sunset and you are comforted by the beauty, God says, I meant to do it that way. It's not by accident. And then he says in verse 34, Blessed are the ones who listen to me. Happy are the ones who listen to me. You and I want to be happy. We want to enjoy our life. And it has been said that happiness is the motivation for everything that we do. Think about anything you do throughout your day, and I bet you will be able to trace it back to a motivation to be happy. And that's why you did what you did. Even so, in a weird way, or maybe even in a backwards way, even the, even our, uh, the odd things that we do to harm ourselves is still, in an, in an end, it's a motivation to find happiness. It's a desire to be happy. And our desire to be happy can be, can be strangely disappointing. But we're still on this quest for that key ingredient to a happy life, a peaceful life, and we search for it in different ways. We search for it in moral purity. Maybe you want to be happy and you're, you're, you're doing, you want to improve your life. You want to be a good person. So you, you go to church. You read your Bible. You, you, you want to be a better person. You do it through money. I'll get more. I'll, I'll find a good job. You do it through good relationships. I want to have fun and to meet new people. You do it through good health. You, you work out. You eat right. You do it through success and, and trying to, uh, to build your resume. You do it through finding good therapy. You say, I just need to find someone who can help me and talk to me. And the key to the good life, the God-glorifying life, is listening to the wisdom of God. Things are meant to... Uh, this, this means that to enjoy God, we must live according to the way that He has ordered it, according to the way that He has meant it to work. When I talked about the beaches and the sunset, God says, I've created things in a certain way, and they are meant for your joy and my glory, and that means that when we decide through whatever way to neglect that way He has designed it, we will find disorder, we will find unhappiness, we will find agony and brokenness. So wisdom says, listen, if you desire to grow in your spiritual life, to enjoy God, to truly enjoy the life that He's given to you, then listen to me. And wisdom is saying that I I hold the key to that answer. The the key to the life that you desire to live is found in wisdom, the wisdom of God. And so there's a strong verb to to hear, to listen to Him. And and the second reason we should listen carefully is this, that we all have important things that we're responsible for. Isn't that true? Maybe that's the most obvious one. If you look at verse 14 to 16, he's talking about the princes, and he says, I have sound counsel, and by me kings reign, and and princes rule, and, and everyone who does their job, who has an important job to do, needs me. And to do it well, they need wisdom. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not a king, I'm not a prince, I, I don't rule in that way, but we, we all have things we're responsible for, don't we? Just fill in the blank. I am responsible for what? Responsible for children, responsible for your job, responsible for a deadline, responsible uh, for your health. What are you responsible for? You might manage people, you might be managed by people. You might be bosses, you might be employees. You might be, what are you entrusted with that God has said, steward this? You're responsible for your finances. You're responsible ultimately for your time. 
That's why the Bible says, well, steward your time well. Whatever you're responsible for, how do you intend to to be faithful with, with what God has entrusted to you? Wisdom says, you need me. Why should we listen to wisdom and what the Bible has to say about life? Because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot that's been entrusted to us. And it's important. You may not be a king or a ruler, but there's people in your life that need you to lead with wisdom. And when you exercise it well, there's something great that happens. When you exercise the responsibilities well, it is a blessing to those people in your life that trust in you to lead with wisdom. When you exercise it foolishly, it curses others. It brings pain to others. So wisdom gives us what we need to fulfill the responsibilities that God has given to us. And so we need to listen. We need to hear. The third reason of why it's important to hear is that it will protect you, most bluntly, from ruining your life. Verse 36, He who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. There is no greater way, the Proverbs are saying, there is no greater way to hate yourself or to hate your neighbor than to disobey what God says. There is no greater offense to your neighbor or to yourself than to disobey God and what He says. Do you really believe that? Maybe you don't believe that. It is not just a a mere offense of one of many in your day of things that you got wrong. There's really nothing worse that you can do to your life than to disregard the wisdom of God. And so this would be like this sobering, sobering realization to us that none of us are exempt from the possibility of ruining our life. The wisdom of God will keep us from making a complete mess of our life and a complete mess of our families and a complete mess of the things around us. So wisdom says, listen, hear well, pay attention to what I'm saying. And all that to say it should lead us to listen well to the wisdom so that we can then live according to wisdom. And that's our, our final point as we think about this, that listening well leads us to live according to wisdom. So not only should we think differently and listen differently to wisdom, there's another strong verb, and do you see it in verse 10? No doubt as we went through it, I hope it caught your eye in verse 10. The verb is take. Think about it. Listen to what God has to say. But, but importantly and lastly, take it. Take my instruction instead of silver. Take it more than anything. What is more important than fame and fortune and power and anything else is having the ability to be able to navigate through, the most, through life's most meaningful problems. It's more important than silver. It's more important than gold. And then it says it's actually more important than anything in your life to take wisdom, to live according to wisdom. It's this kind of taking. If you want to talk about this idea and this word, it's the kind of taking that is the same as, say, taking a wife. You've heard that phrase? To take a wife. To be joined to somebody in a bond and commitment so personal and meaningful that it will change your life forever. Do that with wisdom. Do that with the instruction in God's Word. Do that with the thoughts of God and His, His, His commands to us. How does he, His instruction to us take it? What does that mean? Does it mean just to live according to it? So much more. Marry it. You want to live according to it. It's that, that childhood mockery that I'm sure we have heard. 
you love it so much, why don't you marry it, right? We should love God's word so much, his wisdom so much, that we marry it in a sense. We take it, we join ourselves to it in a bond that is so lasting and so personal that it'll define everything that we do in our life. Living according to God's wisdom is not merely uh, a moral living. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm married to her. I'm faithful. I provide. I go to work and I give her my money and I take care of my wife and she has everything that she needs. Marriage is so much more than that. It's not just being a good spouse. It's not just taking care of needs. It's so much more than that. It is to relate in such a deep and intimate and personal and emotional sense that you both are deeply transformed by that kind of taking. You must marry it if you desire to be changed by the wisdom of God. Because you say, well, God, I, I read that proverb and then I went out and I did what you said to do and my life didn't change. I'm still unhappy. So you didn't marry it. You used it. You manipulated it. You, just, you wore it like, a, like an emblem, like a logo. You did not immerse your life in it. You did not digest it. You did not bond to it with patience and endurance and lifelong commitment and unity, you did not join yourself to the wisdom of God. It's not merely a knowing how to do something. You see, that sometimes something that will drive us to the Proverbs is a crisis. I don't know what to do, and so I'm going to go to God's Word. And so we go to God's Word looking for answers. And that might bring us to God's Word, but it's never how we should leave God's Word. We should never use God's word like a, like a vending machine. Okay, I've got problem B54. Tink. Okay, out comes my answer. Thanks, God, I'll come back when I've got problem C12. We come to God's word looking for answers, but we ought to leave as changed people, transformed people, reformed in our thinking, in our hearing, and in our taking, in our marrying. It is about knowing God in a relationship so deep that nothing will change us more than what God's Word does. Wisdom throughout the... Here's how I know is that wisdom... Here's how I know that God wants a relationship so intimate like that. Is throughout the book of Proverbs, it's, dis, it's dis, uh, depicted... Uh, the wisdom of God is depicted as, as how? As a woman. As a, as, a, as a beautiful, sensible woman. An endearing and majestic woman that is, is ought to be beautiful to us. As we are to read this, we are, ought to be allured by her. We ought to love her. We ought to want to listen to her because she is so beautiful and sensible and we want to know her more. And, and by personifying wisdom as a person, it, she becomes relatable. She becomes someone that we can actually know and, and live with and understand. Because wisdom is not just something that falls into our lap. It's someone that we must listen to and understand and, and carefully uh, take her advice. It's understandable to think if I keep growing and keep doing what I'm doing, I'll be the person that God wants me to be and to live how he desires me to live. And that, unfortunately, is not the case of how it happens. I'll give you some evidence of that. How do I know that just simply just wisdom just doesn't fall into our lap? Here's how I know. There are a lot of foolish older people. And there are a lot of foolish young people.
but there are also a lot of wise young people. And there are a lot of wise older people. There are, it's not just about uh, education. Well, I just, uh, the way that I will become wise is just by getting older, and we know that that doesn't work. Well, the way that I'll be becoming wise is just by being educated, and I'll get more schooling. You ever meet any dumb, smart people? You ever meet any uh, really wise, uneducated people? I'm sure you have. Getting wisdom is both a skill and an art. It's not enough to have the right information. It's not enough to have the right and certain age. It is not enough to have the right kind of schooling. Some people who follow the wisdom of God have a very lousy life. And some people who disregard the wisdom of God have, seem to have a very comfortable life and a very successful life. Have you ever noticed that? Well, they're horrible people. Why is everything working for them? And then you look at someone who's upright and careful and godly and, and they keep hurting. Do you want to know how to live? Do you really want to know how to find rest in your life? Here's this conversation that, that happens a lot as an example of this, to how wisdom is Finding wisdom is an art, and it's, also, it's a skill, and it's an art. It's somewhat of a science and a, and a craft at the same time. It's not just about plugging in, putting the quarter in, and getting out of the vending machine. Here's a conversation that happens a lot uh, as it relates to that in the Christian community, uh, generally, but even in, in my home specifically, as we've had conversations as our children are getting older, we're thinking about schooling, and this is our last year of preschool, and I know that you've been there before, many of you, and you've had to decide what kind of education you want to give to them. Should I do private Christian education, or should I do public school, right? Now, I'll let you know, this is not an invitation for you to come up and talk to me about which is better, just so you know. <laughs> now, what would wisdom say? What do we do with our children, right? And so we have countless conversations and examples. We have examples in our life, and we use those examples for how to live and to make our decisions. And we say, well, I know a lot of people who grew up in the Christian home and in the Christian school, and they have made an absolute mess of their life. And some have gone on to love God and love others. And then we look at the public school example, and we, we look at people who have gone through public school, and they have lived well-adjusted lives, and we say, see, they went through a public school, and they were exposed to much of life, and it's helped them to live well-adjusted lives. And we know that there's some that have grown up through that, and their hearts and lives are very far from God. And so we see Christian schooling that, that, that bears the fruit of of wayward, disobedient kids, and some that live very fruitful, loving relationships with the Lord. And, and we see the same with public education. And we say, so what is it? We look at these things. What is the point of this illustration? Here's my point. If you're the kind of person that says, if I do what is right, then everything in my life will go well. The Bible says you're a certain kind of fool. You're a certain kind of conservative fool. If you think as a Christian, if I bring my kids up in the church and if I put them in Christian schools, then everything will go right with them. The Bible says you're a certain kind of fool. And then there's another kind of person. If you're the kind of person that says, see, see what happens when you do everything right? It still leads to mess. And so the answer is nothing really matters. Let's find our own path. Let's just try to be good people. There isn't a right. There isn't a wrong. We really just... We'll never really know what the right path is, so just do what feels good. The Bible says you're another kind of fool. You're a kind of liberal kind of fool. You can be a conservative fool and a liberal kind of fool. So what's the solution? We see that it is this art, and it's a skill, it's a craft. How do we live according to wisdom? 
Proverbs 8 says, take, take wisdom to take it into marriage, to bind yourself to someone in a relationship so committed that it will actually change your whole being. Wisdom here is personified. It is bound in a person. What is the answer when it seems like even if we do all the right things, bad things still happen? What is the answer when we see someone just making a wreck of their life and they seem to be happier than us? The answer is a person. It's not about mastering a bunch of rules in our life. It's about something so much richer and more important. It is about something more impersonal. It is about being on this lifelong pursuit of a person, the person who is, in our passage, the incarnate, personified, embodied wisdom of God. That person is Jesus Christ. Well, that comes to no surprise to you, right? I mean, you know this series is called Speaking of Jesus. You knew I would get there eventually, right? It's not a shocker that I say the answer to our problems and all of life's problems is knowing Jesus, that he is the personified wisdom of God. Because this is a sermon, right? This A sermon is, is something that, in done well, will always find uh, the, the answer to every problem, every longing, every brokenness, every dilemma to be in the incarnate Word of God, the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's just a talk. Otherwise, I'm just giving like this really great speech about how to live. But it's a sermon. It, it leads to Jesus. It's meant to find its hope and culmination in Jesus. When wisdom says in our passage, I was there in the beginning. Whoever finds me finds life. Whoever fails to find me will surely die in their sin. And then we read the New Testament and we see how Jesus is talked about and how he talks about himself, we will, without a doubt, we will see that Jesus is meant to be the personified wisdom of God. Proverbs is poetry, but it's also poetry that points to a reality. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. That their hearts may be encouraged, Paul says, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of fullness, assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is saying that, that I hope that people will come to an understanding in their life that they will see the personified, embodied wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, lived out in their life more fully. And in John, the Gospel of John, the Apostle John, at the beginning of his book in chapter 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and He was the light of men. That's what Proverbs says, wisdom says about herself. She says, I am the wisdom of God, and, and you won't find life without me. And I was there in the beginning, and nothing that is made was made without me. Do you want to know how to live this doesn't mean that Jesus was a woman, just because it's personified as a woman, as a side note. We're meant to, we're meant, this is poetry, we're meant to be allured by it, we're meant to see the beauty in it, and then we see the wisdom of God personified in Jesus Christ. Do you want to live according to wisdom? Then you, not, you need not only to think differently about Jesus and to listen to Jesus' words, but you need to take Christ, you need to take Jesus and many will look at Jesus and say, what a great guy. You're wonderful. And, and they'll do nothing more. That's not what it means to be a Christian. 
A Christian is not a person who looks at Jesus and say, man, thanks for doing that. That's awesome. Thanks for being a great guy, the guy, that I, the, guy or, the guy or woman that I could never be in my life. Thanks for doing those things. But it's to take him, to say, look how wonderful, look how amazing, look how, look how he suffers on the cross, and look how he has, he's been raised from death to life, and look how, look how inferior I am to him, and, but look how amazing he has loved me in spite of who I am. And he's called me to himself he screams loudly from the mountaintops. He meets me at the intersection of my life. He stands at the doorstep of my home and says, I love you. Trust me. Follow me. Take me into your life. And the more we take him, the more we know his wisdom. Are you lacking in wisdom? I imagine that you might be. It's an interesting reality to, to think about our life and to look back on our life and say, wow, I was really, compared to today, I was, I was really a fool five years ago, ten years ago, five minutes ago. And then we think that means then in, in, in the future we will be, as we grow in Christ and take Him more and more, we will grow in wisdom. That means today at any given moment we are foolish in a sense. We are lacking in understanding. We are lacking in God's wisdom. Do you want wisdom? Do you desire a wise life and a righteous life? The Bible says you can ask for it that you ask for it with confidence in what Christ has done for us, that we pursue it and know that we acquire godly wisdom when we go to the source of wisdom and pursue Him. The Bible says, do you want wisdom? Then go to Jesus, the source of wisdom, and get to know Him, and you will get it. Isn't that encouraging? That there is a way to be wise? That there is a way to, to actually make decisions in your life that will, that will be fruitful and, and lead to joyful peace and, and that won't leave us to be destroyed and and to be without his peace, we can know how to live. That's, that's incredibly comforting to me, that there is an answer. Second, we can steep ourselves in God's word. It should, be tr- it, should, it should trouble us how ready we are to listen to the world's narrative and the culture's narrative on how to live our life and find such small opportunities to listen to Jesus. How do we raise our children? How do we love our parents? How do we... How do we be faithful in our vocation? How do we participate in culture and politics? Do you realize that we are much more ready to listen to what the world says about how to do all of those things when we need to actually immerse ourselves and steep ourselves in the Word of God and say, I'm ready to listen, I'm ready to hear. What do you have to say about my life? Get to know His character and get to know the wisdom of God in His Word. And lastly, Repeat this process over and over again. Ask for it. Steep yourself in the wisdom and word of God and repeat it over and over again. There's no shortcut to the wisdom of God. I wish there were. I wish I could give you three keys to being more wise today. But the process is long-suffering. It's, it's repetitive. There's no shortcut to it. We are right now and always will be this work in progress on this side of heaven, we're on this work in progress, but we're growing in Christ and growing in wisdom. And this process, as it's pursued towards Jesus, always leads down a path that results in Christ-like wisdom and growth in our life. That's the confidence we have, that's the encouragement that we have, that for all who lack wisdom can find it as they seek for it, can grow in it as we steep ourselves in the words of Christ and wisdom of God, and we are assured that we will reach it as we are faithful to know Him, to love Him, to take Him. 
Christ is our groom. He is, we are the bride of Christ whom he has loved. We are joined to him by faith in a life, in a relationship so transformational that we will forever be changed as we take him more and more each day. Let's take him in that way. Let's pray together.